All right, we've talked about core values for the last four weeks as a fifth installment. So I'm really enjoying this, by the way. And I hope if you haven't been here, go back. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on, our, on the website. Go back and check them out. This is part of the core of what we believe. And today we're going to talk about honor, how to honor each other. And I haven't always been good at this. I've had stupid reasons why I didn't honor people. And so I'm going to dig into this and make sure that we've got the right mindset as a church, as a family. Are you ready? Romans chapter 12, we'll start in verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we though many form one body. And each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. But if it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Father, we thank you this morning. God, we know your word is life-giving. We know there's joy in it today. And we pray, God, that as we ingest it, Lord, as we mull over it, as we, as we digest it into our souls today, that you would change us, transform us by the renewing power of your word. Let it change us, and as it changes us, let it change those around us. In Christ's name we pray, and everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. I think it'd be beneficial to start out with the definition of honor because it can mean different things to different people. So Merriam-Webster says, honor to regard or treat someone with admiration and respect, to regard or treat them with honor, to give special recognition to, to confer honor on. And then, and then my favorite, uh, the working definition we'll use today, to salute with a bow in a square dance. No, but that is helpful the next time you're at a square dance. You'll know what to do. Paul here is writing that, uh, first of all, he starts off the beginning of chapter 12, and he starts talking about, hey, listen, we're all different. We're, we're uh, different people called by the same God to do different things. And just like one body has many different parts, and none of those parts do the same thing, it'd be nice if the body of Christ operated like that, like we're all Different, part of one body, but different, with different skills and abilities. And then he goes into this thing. He said, listen, if this is your gift, do it. If this is your gift, do it. If this is your gift, do it. Do it. And then he gets into this thing about love. And he says, man, you have to love each other sincerely. If we're going to be one body, if we're going to be, if we're going to be this way, we have to love each other sincerely. And we have to exalt each other. He says we have to honor each other above ourselves. And I've not always been good at that. I'll admit it. God had to teach me some lessons over the year about how to, 
how to honor people around me, how to honor those above me, how to honor those beside me, how to honor those under me, how to, how to in, a, in a, just a working definition, how to elevate people around me. And so Paul says something very important at the beginning of what we read. He said, uh, he said, have a sober judgment of yourself. So my first point is, take the beer goggles off. I never thought I'd say that in church. Or it would be a point to a sermon. <laughs> but he says, have a sober assessment of yourself. Have a sober judgment of yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. You know what I, you know what I found out most of my problem has been over the years is I think, I think a little bit better of myself than I probably should. I know none of you deal with that. But let me explain to you how it manifests itself because you might think, well, I've got, well, I was diagnosed with low self-esteem. That's not exactly what I'm talking about. Watch how this works. So the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Does everybody agree with that? And if you haven't sinned, we'll exclude you for the moment. But my, my, my guess is, is that we're all pretty much in the same boat with this. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that you sinned before you even knew you could sin. I remember one of my kids lying when they were like three years old over a Barbie doll. And I thought, dear God, the devil has entered my house this early. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. I was like, where's her bar- where, where's her doll? And she's like, I don't know. And I turned around. When I turned back, I saw her climbing under the couch, grabbing the doll. And I thought, you little devil. What have you done with my child? She lied on purpose. Not just a mistake, but lied on purpose to cover up the fact that she had hidden the doll from her sister. So I'm sure that we can all agree that we're pretty much in the same boat with sin. We all sin, the Bible says, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. The difference is how we judge our own sin. (laughs) Because I'll just be honest with you, my sin's not as bad as yours. That wasn't funny. It's, tr- it's true. My sin's not as bad as yours. I've, th- I've thought about it. I've took a good assessment of my life, and I just don't think I sin like everybody else. <laughs> and I would venture to say that you probably have the same opinion about yourself. Because we do it. Like We, we do it. We, we read through the paper and find out somebody's got arrested, and we say things like, I'd never do that. Or at least I'd never get caught. And, and, and so we, we, we tend to start gauging ourselves according to somebody else's sin. You know what? We're in a bad spot when we start, get, we, we start elevating ourselves because our sin is not as bad as someone else's. Oh, I'm bad, but I ain't that bad. So Paul says, have a sober judgment of yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. So we get into a spot where, where if, I'm, if I'm accurate with me, or, or let me back up, my knee jerk is to assess your sin as worse than mine. And the issue is, is that it's not worse, it's just different. I'll say that again. Your sin is not worse than mine, it's just different because I'm pretty sure that God dislikes all sin. Can we agree with that this morning? He dislikes all sin. I know it was a little white lie, but it wasn't honoring God. I know, I know it was a little white lie about the Barbie doll, but if I had let that go... I'm going to tell you something, the wrath of God visited my house that day. She was three. I was like, oh, how did you get so possessed? Let's talk about this. 
there's a thing called the devil and he's in you. I didn't say that. But what I'll do is I'll lessen the effect of my sin, increase the effect of your sin so that I feel better about me. I'll compare myself and I'll, and I'll say things like, uh, well, man, that was, I would never do anything like that. Overlooking the fact that the, what I do is equivalent in the eyes of God. If I slander somebody else, if I gossip, if I eat too much, if I, mm, you're going to be slow in the amens. That's fine. If I, if, if I'm, if I'm lazy, if I'm gluttonous, if I'm, if I'm uncaring, if I'm unloving, if I'm prideful, just because I haven't robbed a bank this week doesn't mean I'm better than the bank robber as far as grace is concerned. As far as the legal system, I'm good. (laughs) Well, we're not talking about how much trouble you get into. We're talking about how much grace we need. And that's two different things because I can get away with a lot of stuff not getting caught but be so deficient in in my desire for grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like just because I don't get caught doesn't mean I don't need grace. And we gauge how good we are by how often we get caught. Mm-hmm. Now it's starting to click. You're like, oh yeah, I didn't get caught for that. <laughs> I can remember stealing a Christmas tree in like 1995, three? No, it had to be five. Jammed it in the back of a Geo Metro. <laughs> Obviously, it was sticking out. It was a stupid idea. A bunch of college kids were like, we need a Christmas tree, and we're all broke. So the Lord will look the other way when we steal something to honor the baby Jesus with. We're going to put an angel on top of it. <laughs> you know what? I'll have a record because I didn't get caught. It's not because I don't need grace. And so Paul says, think soberly of yourself, not more highly than you are. Because what happens is when we think about ourselves above everybody else, it's hard to elevate others who aren't at our level. And now we start using ourselves as a standard. Well, I wouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. We talk to our kids that way. How many of you are old enough to have kids and you remember saying things like this? I would have never done that when I was your age. You didn't have the internet. Oh, oh, wait a second. The reason I didn't do what my kids did is because I didn't have access to the same SIDS my kids had access to. Oh, somebody say amen. So we think we're more high, we think of ourselves more highly because we didn't have the opportunity. That's all it was. If the opportunity had presented itself, I'd have stole the Christmas tree and did something else crazy. I just grew up in a different time. So what we do is we alienate our kids and other people by saying, well, I would have never done anything like that. Oh, well, wait a second. Let's do a good analyzation of the issue and say, did you have an opportunity to even do anything like that? They might not have sold Christmas trees anywhere near you. 
So he says, don't think too highly of yourselves. Have a sober judgment. You have to look at yourself. So then he goes into this thing where he's saying, hey, everybody's got a gift. Everybody's got a gift. If, you, if God's given you this gift, to it. If God's given you that gift, to it. So the other thing we need to look soberly at is what has God gifted us to do? Now, watch this. This stage is about 32 inches high. I was involved in the construction of it, so I know. It's about 32 inches. We had to make it that high so we could slide them fat subwoofers underneath of it. You know what I mean? That's, kind of, that's how you feel the boom, boom. My voice doesn't go low enough. So here's what we tend to do. We tend to value more the gifts that land you on the stage. You know what I have to do all the time? Don't, I have to think soberly of myself. Because the stage can become an intoxicating thing. Anybody ever been elevated at work? All of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, I'm leading this meeting now. It's going to be my way. Yeah, you gave me the stage. You gave me the microphone. Wait till I'm in charge. I've worked for this. I've, I've been getting. I've been. I've spent 25 years here. I'm gonna get what I want now. I'm on the. I'm in the spotlight. And the stage can become intoxicating. And in our in our culture, the stage is a very intoxicating thing. We want. We want. We want low skill and high visibility. It's called YouTube. You ever watched any of those videos? We want, we want American Idol. We want all these things about just instant celebrity, Instagram. If I get 10,000 followers, man, oh, I've reached it. And, and, we, and we clamor for the stage, a clamor for the stage, a clamor for the stage. So certain giftings in the church start to look more valuable than others. But you see that Paul doesn't differentiate between any of that stuff. He said, we're like one body. We've got all these different things going on. And so... If whatever you're gifting is, just do it. But if we think the gift that God has given us is lower or greater than somebody else's, then it's going to be hard to honor. Well, I'm, you know, I'm on the stage. People should clap anyway. Or, or, or. thanks, Danny. Or, well, I, you know, I'm just in the back of kids, so it's not that big a deal. You know, it's not, you know, whatever. It's, it's not, or I'm just greeting or what, whatever. Paul does not... Paul puts it all on a level playing field and he says, hey, listen, if that's your gift, just do your thing. And that we need to be careful in the body of Christ not to think too highly of ourselves just because our gift has made, made, made some people get on stage and some people not get on stage because here's the, here's the thing. The one thing that I believe is least necessary in the church is this thing right here. We built one, and we use it every week. But the more I do it, the more I realize that for the church to do what they need to do, I could preach standing on the floor. I could preach on YouTube. I don't even, I could, I could, I could do it any way. There's all kinds of ways now we could do it. And, but what the church can't do without is ceases to become a church. When I preach at my house, nobody says, well, dad's having church. No, they go, dude, when are you going to shut up? It's sort of the same effect here. So he says, think soberly of yourself, not too highly. I I also want to say this. If you do the gift that God has given you well, he'll slot a stage under you wherever you are. 
I said it like this earlier. God has a portable stage. And if you do what you do well, he'll slide one under you. It says if, if you humble yourselves before him, he will lift you up. He will make sure you get a platform, the Bible says. So whatever you do, it's what God wants you to do. It says do whatever your hand finds to do. Do it with all of your might, all of your heart, as if working for the Lord, not men. He said, man, if I've given you this gift, just do it. Paul says, do it. Just do it. So we get the preface for honoring. We have to not think too highly of ourselves. Realize where our place is. Realize what God wants us to accomplish and do those things. And then the next thing he goes into, he starts talking about right before he gets honored, this love thing. Oh, man. So don't think too highly of myself and then love people. Okay. Okay, well, I think I know, I think I know what that looks like. Maybe, I think. It says love must be sincere. Oh, you're talking about real love. Love has to be real. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You read it in all kinds of weddings. Paul, said, Paul writes this to the Corinthian church in his first letter. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. He just gave three scenarios there where he said, listen, you could do all these things and be void of love, and it's worthless. Worthless. Some of those things would elevate you to a stage. But if you do it without love, it's worthless. Remember the sober judgment? Okay, now we're going, okay, God, let me not think too highly of myself. Am I loving while I'm doing all these things? Then he starts to go into some things love is not. He starts out with a couple. Love is patient, love is kind, and then he goes into this. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And here we go, some good stuff. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So Paul's saying, listen, you have to be a sober judge of yourself. And this love thing has to be real. And here's some descriptors of it. Love always puts other people first. Love love never holds a, a record of wrongs. Love is always patient. It's always kind. Love is all these things. So if we're gonna if we're gonna honor people, we gotta get the we gotta get the basis for it down. We gotta have a real view of ourselves and a real view of what love looks like. Because without those two things, it's hard to elevate those around us. Without realizing that I need as much grace as you need, and realizing what love actually means, it's gonna be hard to elevate you. So the third thing I see in this is he's saying. Honor those above yourself. Simply, I'll put it simple like this. We're called to elevate everybody around us. You know, I said what I said when when we first started. I believe that when you walk into a church setting, if the spirit of God is there, you should leave better than when you came. Elevated. If you come in contact with me, whether through a sermon or a handshake or a hug or a fist bump, preferably, or, or whatever it is, 
my prayer is, is that not, you just don't feel better about yourself, but you are better with yourself. That you've been elevated. That you realize that what God put in you is valuable and worth it and all those things. So you, we elevate people. That's the goal of you showing up on a Sunday morning is, man, can we get people in here, get them exposed to the Spirit of God and have them elevated above the view of the world sees them. So if that's the case, if I'm supposed to elevate, if I'm supposed to lift up all these people around me, if you're supposed to lift up those people around you, Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself. We're elevating people. All right, let me give you four ways that we can practically do this. Four, are you ready? Four ways you can practically do this. We're going to honor, we're going to elevate those around us. Four ways. We have to value the price that was already paid. You know what's funny is uh, I, used to, I used to have conditional honor for people. If you did what I wanted you to do, then I could honor you. Anybody else like that? Come on, just be honest. You honor somebody one day and the next day they screw it up and you're like, nope, taking that back. Thank you very much. That's why I kept it on a, that's why I kept it on a leash. Because I'm going to give it to you one day when you do what I want and then I'm going to snatch it back the next. I'm going to give you a little bit, snatch it back. Give you a little bit, snatch it back. Give you a little bit, snatch it back. And you end up creating a yo-yo effect in people's lives. And so you end up creating a situation where they never really know if you're for them or not. Well, he was for me yesterday, but now now it seems like he's against me. Because, listen, I can critique without stealing honor. Oh, I'll say that again. I can critique without stealing honor. Did you hear that? So if I honor one of my kids and I say, man, the gift of God is in you. Man, God paid a price for you and you're valuable. And I think you can be exactly what God calls you to be. And I can just the same way have a criticism about something they've done without stealing that. I value the gift of God in you and I want you to just change this little thing now. I I don't have to call them. I don't have to diminish them in order to get them to do what I want them to do. But our culture is like that. So here's what I found out in Scripture. Paul writes that you were bought with a price, that you are not your own. Did you hear that? You were bought with a price, you are not your own. So the Bible teaches us that we were, sin, we were sinners and away from God. We were separated from God. So what happens? God sends Jesus to die for us. Do you, you hear that? God sent his only son that whosoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life because he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved. So what happens is God bankrupted heaven and paid for your sin and my sin. So if I can find no other reason to elevate you, I should look at the fact that Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. So you're expensive. I can start there. I can start there. I can say, man, man, if nothing else, if all else in your life is is collapsed, God paid the ultimate price for you, and I can honor that. I can see the value in you. Amen? Ah, but you know it's difficult. You know it's difficult. That, That... you're like, Pastor Chris, but you don't know this person. You're right. I don't know how bad they are, but Jesus does. Jesus does. Yeah, but you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know how they treated me. You don't know. They've been a pain in my certain area for years. 
All I know is that he died. And I can start there. I can start to value people because of what Jesus did, not because of what they haven't done. Come on, I know this is tough. I've got a ton of reasons for some people. But at the end of the day, if Jesus Christ walked right into their life and redeemed them, they'd be a child of God just like me. And so what I can do is I can look at them and say, man, God has paid the ultimate price for you. I can value that in your life. And I can treat them with honor and dignity. Amen? I can elevate them above myself because of the price that was already paid. I have to realize that they're just as expensive as I was. Did you hear that? Look at your neighbor and say, you're just as expensive as I am. And I'm a classic. They're just as expensive as you are. Honor the price God paid for. Here's the second thing we can honor. We can honor the gift God put in them. We can elevate the gift God put in people. Let me ask you this. When people are around you, do their gifts get better or or do they push them down? Do your kids excel when they're in your presence? Do the people that work with you excel when they're in your presence? Because I ask myself this all the time. Are the people that are working with me actually getting better because they're with me? Because I, I, I elevate the gift that God put, it, put in them. I, I said it like this. Your gift is different than mine. It's like, it's like different circuit boards, the same computer manufacturer. It's like different tires, but the same brand. It's like different. It's, a, it's like a, you're different than me, but we got the same. We came off the same assembly line. You know what I'm saying? So, so what I can do then, if your gift is different, It's not less valuable, it's just different. And so I can look at you and I can value the gift that God put in you. I can elevate the gift that God put in you. It's not the same as mine, and that's fine. That's actually good. But what I have to do is I have to honor what God put in you already. Amen? Let Let me tell you where this gets difficult, when you don't understand it. How many of you are right brain people in here? Oh, we're in trouble, you don't know. You're like, I got a brain, man. This is hard. Right brain's are artsy people, correct? Or is that left brain? Right brain's artsy. How many of you are artsy? Now we're getting to it. Raise your hand. Raise your hand high. Artsy people, you right brain. Some of you are left-handed. It's just like, I don't understand what's going on here. Do you know I read a statistic, 2,500 left-handed people die a year using right-handed products? True story. Be safe out there, right-brained people. Be safe. You say, God values you, but you just got a more difficult life than the rest of us. How many of you are left brain people? Right-handed? Like numbers? Like everything to be a certain way? Okay. All right, here's the issue. You guys don't understand each other. Am I right? One of you is doing a calculation, the other one's drawing pictures. And the one guy's, why do you have to be so rigid? And the other one's like, what are you doing? You're like finger painting and we're trying to figure out the budget. And so it becomes hard to honor the gift God put in the other person because you don't understand it. Lean in a little bit and say, you know what? You're wired different than me, but, but God still wired you. 
And it would cause a lot less confusion in your life. You could look at the other person and say, listen, I know you've been finger painting since, I don't know, you're like 37 now, but you've been, you're still finger painting, I don't get it. But, but listen, it's the gift that God put in you. I, I'm trying to elevate it up to a brush so it'd be less mess, but, but it's a gift that God put in you and I'm gonna value the gift that God put in you. I'm gonna honor it. I'm gonna elevate what God put in you. I'm not gonna criticize it because it's different than me. I like numbers, I like painting less. So I like sitting down looking, I'm, I'm like, I'm a little more right-handed, I'm a little more left brain. I'm a little more like, hey, if you measure it like this, cut it like this, it works every time. I don't, I don't want the wishy-washy about how you feel. I don't care how you feel. Wow, we're getting honest now. But I need to, I need to, I need to value the people that need to tell me how they feel before they can get to anything. Come on, left brain people, you're like, really? That's so tiring. We could be done already. (laughs) It's tough. Honor the gift that God put in them. Okay, the third thing, we're gonna hurry up. Honor the process that they're in. That's one of our core values, but I had to throw it in here because sometimes we get frustrated with the process and people and we withhold honor. We don't elevate them because we don't like the process God is using in their lives. So watch this. I have a saying, two steps forward and one step back is still one step forward. Did you get that? Two steps forward and one step back is still one step forward. But how many of you get massively frustrated with the one step back? You're just like, you were doing so well. You were doing so well. One step backward, it's over. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. We're still making progress. We're still making progress. So what, tell, what that tells me is I'm frustrated with the process God has you in right now. And I'm, I, I can't elevate you because it's not my process. I mean, I got it right. As if, as if we haven't taken a step back every now and then. Because here's the thing that I realize: we're all in a process. This sanctification thing didn't happen the day you said, Jesus, come into my life, blink, and then you never sinned again. Paul even says, man, there's things that I don't want to do that I do and things that I do want to do that I don't do. And it's this process that happens over and over and over again in my life. And I'm trying to work it out with the spirit of God. And I'm trying to get encouragement. And I'm trying to, and I got to battle this flesh daily. And I got to do all these things. And I'm just in the process. And so what I can do is I can value the process in your life. And I do it like this. When people walk into my office, they say, man, I'm struggling. I go, good. And they go, what? I'm glad you're struggling. I am really excited you're struggling, actually. And and they look at me like, oh, dude, this is weird. Like, I thought you were going to tell me that I shouldn't be struggling, that the grace of God should just fix it all. And, And I go, no, no, no. If you're struggling, that means the spirit of God is actually in you. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're struggling with whatever it is. (laughs) Because here's what I know. If, If the spirit of God is not in you, you won't struggle. Did you hear that? It says when the spirit of God is not in us, we're slaves to sin, not slaves of righteousness. So when the spirit of God is not in us, we don't struggle with sin. We just do it. Amen? You don't struggle with sin when, when you're not saved, when the Spirit of God is not in. You're just like, dude, this is fun. Why would I struggle with it? 
The Bible says that sin is fun for a season, but the end is death. So the, can we be honest? I know we're streaming, but can we be honest? Sin's fun. That's why we do it. Because it's fun. But what we realize when the spirit of God enters us at salvation, we realize that the benefits of it are lacking a bit. And so the process of the spirit of God coming in us starts the struggle. And so when people come to my office and they say, I'm struggling, I go, man, that's a good spot to start out with. If you're struggling, we can work with that. If you're struggling, we can deal with it, man. That's good because you're resisting the devil. And the Bible says that if you resist him enough, he'll flee. And so let's work out the process of what the resisting looks like. Let's work out the process. And I have to then elevate them because they're in the process. Not be frustrated because they're in the process. So we get frustrated because their process isn't as fast as ours or isn't as clean as ours or, or, or isn't as, as nice and neat as ours. And their process might be messy and it might mean two steps forward and one step back. It might be three steps forward and four steps back. It might look like a setback this month and a, and a gain next month. It might look like the stock market where you win everything one month and lose it the next. But here's what I can tell you. If you pull your money out, you'll never have a chance. So when people come into our church and they struggle, what do we do? We honor the process. Hey, man, I know the price that was paid for you. I know the gift that was, that was put in you, and I know you're in the process. You're worth something to us. Amen? We're going to elevate you. And guess what? When people that are struggling get around a family that goes, no, 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 you're worth it, man. You're worth every minute of it. You're worth every second of it. You're worth every phone call. Guess what? They make it. They make it. It's a totally different environment from when you see people that are like, oh, man, no, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. I must talk down to you. Talk down to you. We gotta value, honor the process that God is doing in people's lives and elevate that. Let them know that we value them. All right, the last thing, stand to your feet. Band's gonna come up. Honor by valuing the price paid, honor by valuing the gift given, honor by valuing the process. The last thing I wanna make sure is that we honor by understanding. Understanding what? I found out that we could be around people a long time and not understand them. You could be married for a long time and not understand them. You're like, I gave up on that years ago. There's a little book I give out to everybody when I'm doing marriage counseling or premarital counseling. I'll just give them this little book called The Five Love Languages. It ain't going to fix everything. It ain't going to keep you from getting an argument. It's not going to keep you from hating your wife. I'm just being honest. I've been married two decades. It's not going to keep your wife from hating you. But it gives you the tools to understand each other. Lean in here, guys. You can elevate your wife by attempting to understand her. Come on, women, say amen. He might not have have a good shot at completing the task, but at least... Because you know what happens? When I spend the time trying to understand somebody's circumstance, I'm already elevating. I'm telling them my time's worth it. My thoughts are worth it. My, my energy's worth it. You're worth it to me. And, and so 
This little five love language thing, it talks about how we give and receive love over and over again. And, and, and most of you in the room do it one of five, kind of two of five ways. You have two basic ones. So there's, there's physical touch, which is a back rub and other things. And then there's, there's uh, words of affirmation. Man, I like me some words of affirmation. I'm gonna just let you know. I like it when my wife says, you're the best husband ever. I'm like, you're right about that. <laughs> Gifts. You're just giving somebody a gift and they were like, man, that's awesome. There's quality time. That doesn't mean sitting down in front of the TV and going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You shut the TV off, look her in the face. Tell her something. And then I'm missing one. What's it? Acts of service. Oh, all you guys are like, oh yeah, we know these. Acts of service. I'm going to do something for you. Now watch this. If I will take the time to learn, I'm not just talking about my wife. I'm talking about my kids, the people I work with, the people around me, the people that I run into during the day. If I would take the time to understand just the act of taking the time to understand, understand how they, how they communicate, how they understand things, and not elevating myself, but elevating them. Hey, man, you know what? You're worth me understanding. You're worth me understanding. I'm going to listen more than I'm going to talk. I'm going to take time to understand you. And then, to top it all off, then I'm going to communicate to you the way you understand it. Because I'm going to tell you something. Quality time is not my love language. I turn the TV on, and if I could turn the TV on and her tell me I'm great all night, I'm good. Say it one more time during a commercial. Say it one more time during a commercial. No, but I'm elevating my wife when I say I could watch TV, but I'm going to turn the TV off, and I'm going to look at you, I'm going to look you in the face, and I'm going to listen to you, and then I'm going to tell you how I feel. Because she knows that's not natural for me. So I've elevated her above myself. Come on, I'm helping you this morning. I'm, you can elevate your kids that way. You can elevate your coworkers that way. You can honor them by understanding them. Take the time. Take the time. God elevated us. He elevated us by sending Christ to do everything that we've talked about. And we have the opportunity to do that with the people around us. Father, we thank you this morning. God, we pray that we just lavish honor on people around us. God, that we, that we would be known as a church who elevates people, who values people above ourselves, who honors. Lord, I pray that we never be a place that would withhold praise for somebody. God, but we lavish people with love and honor and appreciation. Help us to do this, Lord. Help us to get love right. And we pray, God, that, that as we do this, that you'd expand our reach, Lord. Let us touch people the way you would touch them. And let us do it for your glory, far and wide. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Come on, give him glory one more time. He's good. Hey, listen, honor somebody as you leave. Honor somebody this week, and we'll see you back here next week.